You're listening to Instructive's Insane Instruction Show. I am Ferry V. I create happy and safe users for over two decades. This is a listen and learn podcast to help your firm keep on the right side of the law by creating better information for use. How do you know you can trust what I say? I've worked in product development and compliance for a few decades and I've built up three companies and my blog attracts over 10,000 visitors a month. None of this is as important as keeping your company and your users safe. They're happy, their partners are happy and of course I am happy for them. Hi there and welcome to the show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about how to CE mark a medical device. As one of our specialisms is creating user instructions, or actually I have to say instructions for use or IFU for medical devices, many of our clients are involved in the certification process of medical devices. Because the old medical device directive will soon be replaced by the new medical device regulation, Medical devices are a hot topic at the moment. With the instructions that we create, we help provide clear information on how to use a product, which is necessary for using a product safely, efficiently and effectively. We make sure that our instructions are user-friendly, appealing and comply with legal requirements. As I think it is useful for companies selling medical devices on the European market to have more insight in the certification process of medical devices, we will talk about this in this podcast episode. We hope to provide practical tips on how to go through the CE marking process and self-certify or certify your medical device. In this podcast we will discuss the process of CE marking in general how to identify if your product is a medical device and which class it is, which steps to follow to obtain the CE mark and how to register your medical device. Our expert of today is Martin de Graaf. Martin is consultant for the company Certification Experts. Martin is responsible for assisting companies with the conformity assessment procedures of medical devices. He specializes in offering guidance on product qualification, indicating the correct conformity assessment route to be followed, evaluating technical documentation, and offering guidance on implementing a certified quality management system. Besides European market access for medical devices, he also supports companies with access to the Chinese and American market. Welcome, Martin. Thank you, uh, Ferry. Good to be here. Let's dive into it, Martin, directly. Uh, I have a question to start with. What is the most interesting project you were involved in and why related to medical devices? There was a a project which is, it may seem to be a quite easy device, but often the most easy devices are the most complex devices in a sort of way, basically because it's always a good invention. There was an easy device basically to, uh, to count the number of inhalation of an, uh, of an inhalation device. And basically it was quite interesting to navigate the company through the entire process and to ensure that they, they comply with all the, uh, the requirements um, as they basically invented a new product. And that's always something that is, uh, I think it's still quite amazing to be part of the job, that you're really close to practical inventions. Thanks for that, Martin. So let's talk more about how to CE mark a medical device. First of all, Martin, what does a CE mark mean on medical devices? 
It's a French term, but basically it means that uh, the product complies with the minimum requirements for medical devices within the European Union. Um, so basically this means that uh, in order to put the product onto the market, um, there are minimum requirements uh, that needs to be complied with, and that's the CE mark. It's not something that is commercial, it's legislation, it's law, and it's mandatory. Right, and so do all medical devices need to be CE marked? That's an interesting question, because normally I would say, yes, all medical devices uh, need to be CE marked, but there are some, uh, some subcategories of devices that need to comply with certain requirements, but they cannot be, uh, let's say, CE marked. And part of that may be the custom-made devices, as they are custom-made for, for each and every patient. And there are still requirements for these devices, but they are just different, basically, than, than other requirements, but they, uh, other devices. They're basically an exception from the medical device directive. Yes and no, because they still need to be safe, they still need to be effective, and they still need to comply with certain requirements, but the CE mark itself may not be applicable. Let's say I have a medical device and it needs to be CE marked. You often hear CE marking is self-certification. Can I conduct the CE marking myself or can I follow the process myself? Yes, you can, but that depends upon the, the device that you have because the devices are uh, categorized in, uh, in different classes and there's a different procedure to obtain the CE mark for the different classes and the most uh, simple devices with, uh, with less risk, they are eligible for self-certification and that basically means that no third party will, uh, is required to check any documentation. And can you tell me a bit more about the process you need to follow when you self-certify or certify your medical device? Sure. The process basically remains the same if we're talking about some of the steps. First, you need to identify your device and you need to ensure what kind of legislation is applicable to your device. Um, and that will also uh, indicate that the device is a medical device. And then the classification is also important. Because if the device is a medical device, then you need to classify it accordingly with, uh, with the legislation. And basically, the product needs to comply with the essential requirements. So these are a list of requirements that apply to every medical device. And after that, the conformity assessment procedure needs to be identified. So you need to, sometimes you have a choice as a manufacturer to choose a certain trajectory for a conformity assessment procedure. Sometimes uh, you do not have a choice, but it is good to identify which procedure you need to take to get your product uh, CE certified. Um, when you have identified the conformity assessment, you need to conduct a conformity assessment. And that is, uh, that there is uh, in that way, in that step actually, the classification of the medical device is very important because how to carry out the conformity assessment procedure varies for, for the different uh, types of uh, classes of devices. And what is always uh, a requirement is that certain technical documentation needs to be drawn up. And the technical documentation is the, the documentation that proves that the device complies with the requirements. And basically, in short, if you have done all this, um, and this is just a brief overview, then you can affix the CE mark onto the product and you can register the product in order to bring it onto the European market. Thanks for explaining that. So uh, if I'm correct, so if I understand you correctly, then let's say I'm a manufacturer of a medical device, then 
I, uh, with help of a third party in, in some cases, need to follow these steps of the CE mark process for medical devices. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. W when I follow these steps and at the end I affix the CE mark to my medical device, I know for sure that my medical device complies with all the requirements from the directive or regulation. What are the benefits of having this CE mark? The CE mark, if you're uh, bringing a medical device into the market, uh, a CE mark is actually not a choice because it's, uh, it's a legal obligation. But having the CE mark on your product, you know that the product complies with the base rules that basically are applicable for medical devices in Europe. You uh, comply with the, the base safety rules and you know that your device can be used uh, in a safe way. So as a manufacturer, then... Uh I know after having applied the CE mark that I am selling a safe product. Yes. And sometimes you also need to check whether uh, where, uh, sometimes it is inevitable that there are certain risks with a medical device, but the benefits will always outweigh the risks. At least if you have followed the procedure correctly, then you can only bring uh, safe products onto, uh, onto the European market. Meaning that the end user or the user of a, of a medical device is guaranteed or is quite sure that the medical device is safe or at least meets the requirements uh, from the European Union. Yes. So basically, if a uh, consumer sees a medical device with the CE mark, then uh, he needs to trust on it that the device complies with uh, the safety uh, regulations uh, counting in the, in the European Union. Isn't it another benefit that as a manufacturer, I can sell my product or my medical device within the entire European Union? Yes, that's definitely a benefit of the, of the CE mark. Um, because that's also, of course, what the whole CE mark, his intention was, because the European Union, of course, is one, one market. So they tend to, uh, to harmonize the requirements. And if you comply with the requirements for, for the CE marking, so for, in this case, the medical device directive, then you also comply with the minimum requirements for each of the member states. So if you have the CE mark, you can uh, sell your product in all of the member states of the EU. Thanks for explaining that, Martin. Let's talk a bit about the regulation and the directive, because at, at the moment we're recording this podcast, this episode, the old, so to say, medical device directive still applies, which is the 93-42-EEC uh, medical device directive. However, I think it's, it's like this month, actually, the new medical device regulation was about to replace this directive. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Actually, we are recording it upon uh, the day of which the, the medical device regulation would, uh, would go into force. However, due to the current uh, situations uh, in, in the world and, and the pandemic, the medical device regulation is postponed for, for about one year. So it will be uh, in force next year on the 26th of May 2021. So uh, this year we're still dealing with the medical device directive. Right. What a coincidence. I didn't know that. 
<laughs> Can you tell me a bit more about the differences between the regulation and the directive? Maybe first of all, what's the difference between a regulation and a directive in general? From a legal point of view, a directive is a, a law that is made basically by the European Union and the law applies to all of the member states. However, all the member states need to um, implement the, the law into their national system. Uh, this means that, for example, the medical device directive is implemented in, uh, let's say, the Dutch law. And if you, as a Dutch citizen, would need to go to court to uh, to get something from the law, let's say, then you need to refer to the Dutch law. And for a regulation, that's also a law that is made by the European Union. However, that's directly applicable to all its citizens. So you can directly quote and refer to the regulation and it's immediately in effect uh, and there's no need for implementation in national legislation. Meaning that the process before a regulation becomes law is shorter than in the case of directives or is that, can't you say? Yeah, that is something that that, that you can say. However, it's just meaning that, that there are, um, the law indicates minimum requirements and um, it's just easier basically for regulation as it uh, as it can be enforced for for all of the eu citizens and otherwise you need to have the national legislation to to have it enforced and there could be some changes in there or additional requirements or anything like that thanks for explaining that let's go to um, the beginning i think you indicated uh, one of the first things in the CE marking process for medical devices is identifying the applicable legislation for the medical device and you have to classify the medical device. And as far as I know, that's something what really distinguishes medical devices from other products that fall under the scope of CE marking. First of all, is, is that correct? Is that like a real distinguishment of medical devices, the classification? Yes, in a sort of way, because basically for all uh, for all legislation, we are dealing with definitions. We need to ensure also in, in, in other pieces of legislation that the product complies with the definition indicating in law to ensure that the law is applicable to that product. For medical devices, the definitions are broader and uh, more specific. So it's, let's say, a more specific piece of legislation to ensure that your product is applicable or the legislation is applicable to the product. Okay, and does this classification, does it change in the new regulation or is it more or less similar? It changes. It doesn't change in uh, a whole lot, but it could occur that some of the medical devices that are, let's say, a class 1 or a class 2A medical devices scale up uh, one classification uh, in relation between the medical device directive and the medical device regulation. So that's also a good thing for our listeners to take into account. If you already have a product onto the market, check whether the classification changes due to the new regulation. And with scaling up, you mean that it becomes more uh, regulated? Yes. Right, so it, it doesn't become easier. No, but in a way, uh, you can always say that if it's, if it's more regulated, then maybe it's become safer. <laughs> Absolutely, and your, your competitive advantage becomes better. Yeah, exactly. What are other main differences between the old directive and the new regulation? There are a new category of devices um, that are indicated uh, in the new regulation as medical devices uh, that were not explicitly mentioned in the, in, in the old directive. 
And basically what we're talking about, one of the definitions of a medical device is that it needs to have a medical purpose. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, discussion about some devices that were new onto the market that did not have a medical purpose, but they were quite similar to medical devices. And now there's a specific annex, that's annex 16 of the medical device regulation that lists products that did, do not have a uh, medical purpose, but they are medical devices. Um, and an example of those products are, for example, dermal fillers, infrared treatment uh, devices, or even uh, contact lenses, products like that. Con contact lens wasn't classified as a medical device in the old directive and is a medical device in the new regulation? A contact lens was also a medical device. Um, my apologies, this is merely for the colored contact lenses because they do not have a medical uh, purpose because normally uh, um, you have a contact lens and the medical purpose is to improve your eyesight. If you have a contact lens for a colored lens, let's say, then you do not have a medical purpose, but you uh, you wear it basically for aesthetic reasons. Um, and in the regulation that is in, uh, classified now as a medical device. Right. And are there any other main differences between the two? Between the medical device regulation and the medical device directive, you mean? Correct. Um, there are some, some differences. Basically, they try to more tighten basically the... Uh, the procedures so um, meaning that there were some requirements that were still required in the in the medical device directive but they will be more uh, more active surveillance by the, by the market authorities let's say to check upon those requirements to ensure that all the manufacturers are remain in uh, in compliance so there's there's a new system basically to create the whole traceability and, and for the checking of the documentation and uh, um, and the compliance And the medical device regulation is more extent and uh, covers more definitions, basically. So it's more clear. The new one. Yes, it mentions more explicitly uh, what is required, what are the documentation requirements, for example, what are the definitions, what are the, uh, the obligations for manufacturers, what are the obligations for importers. Those things are more explicitly mentioned in the new regulation. So is, is there a different conformity procedure you need to follow for the different medical device classes? Yes, there is a different uh, procedure to be followed. And basically, in, in the beginning, we were, we were talking about uh, self-certification. Is that possible? That is possible with the lowest risk class. Um, and the risk classes basically go up from class 1, uh, class 2A, 2B, and then class 3. And if you're having a class 1 medical device, then you need to ensure yourself as a manufacturer that the product complies with, uh, with the uh, requirements. And if that is the case, then you can uh, register the product and put it onto the market. If you're having um, a medical device in a higher risk class, then a third-party assessment also is applicable. And this is done by a notified body because they are companies basically accredited to assess products and uh, product systems in accordance with the legislation. And what they actually do is they will check, okay, you have the, the documentation drawn up. 
is the documentation correct? Have you complied with all the requirements? Do you have a quality management system to ensure that every product that you uh, that, that you make, that you produce, is of the same quality and, it, and meets the requirements indicated in the legislation? Basically, for that last one, the quality management system, they will also do yearly audits to ensure that this is all uh, done. Does the notified body, uh, do they follow the requirements as indicated in the legislation, let's say, as indicated in the directive or in the regulation, or do they apply harmonized standards in order to conduct the audit, for example? They do a combination of both um, because they will follow the legislation. Their, uh, let's say their ground zero is, is the legislation. They will always fall back on the legislation, but uh, the standards can be used to ensure that the legislation is met. For example, if you need to have a quality management system, the legislation will indicate the manufacturer will need to have a certified quality management system that will need to comprise of the following elements. There is a standard, that's the ISO 13485 standard, that is about quality management systems for medical devices. If you have a quality management system set up in accordance with that uh, standard, then your quality management system complies with the requirements indicated in the legislation. So what the notified body will do is they will take the standard and will check whether the uh, quality management system complies with the standard. Clear, but in order to determine if you need a notified body is or if you need a third party, third party testing, you need to make sure that you know the, the class of your medical device. Yes, that's that's the absolute essential element. You need to know the identification of your product. You need to know whether it's a medical device and you need to know the classification. How do I know if I have a medical device? Let's say I'm selling a product, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I have a medical device or not. That's a very interesting matter because basically what, what manufacturers do is when they have a product, they need to establish the ground rules. Okay, so I have this kind of product. What legislation is applicable to this kind of product? Sometimes it's quite easy because if you're selling a product that is already onto the market, then you can, let's say, uh, uh, steal some ideas and know, okay, so I need to comply with this kind of legislation. If that is not the case, then you just need to check what kind of legislation is applicable in that country does my product fall under one of these laws if so i need to follow that law that is basically the simplified version you're saying uh, you have to check what legislation applies to that country but then you're you're saying you're checking it very country specific and it's not like european that's a good remark because basically what i mean is when i'm talking about a specific country and i'm talking about uh, requirements for the european union as it's one whole i'm, I'm talking about the european union as a country so as a country so yeah, you're, you have exactly. to check whether you're selling it within the european union or not yes correct so let's take a step back and make it like really practical and 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 go to through the the steps in order to ce mark a product let's say i'm a manufacturer of a medical device for example a pacemaker where do i start how do i ce mark such a medical device first what we just indicated a pacemaker is a very uh, it's not a new device there are uh, a lot of uh, a lot of pacemakers already onto the market is it a medical device a pacemaker is a medical device yes and that is something that you can uh, what first you need to indicate what are the specifications of uh, of the product and if you know it's a pacemaker and if you know it's a pacemaker which is uh, intended to aid people basically with the hearts 
And then, you know, it's, it's basically, it's a medical device. You need to check the legislation on medical devices. It's not like a checklist that you need to get from the top to the bottom. But in general, for pacemakers, you need to know that, that uh, it might be a medical device or you need to take into account the legislation. And what you do next is then you check on the uh, definitions. Um, okay, what is the definition of a medical device? And is that something that applies to my pacemaker? Right, and the definitions are mentioned in the directive or in the regulation. Yes, that is correct. In in one of the uh, one of the first articles, um, the definitions are mentioned. And for example, for a medical device, uh, there are some requirements. Uh, as I indicated, it must have a medical purpose. It needs to be used on human beings, and uh, it needs to have an intended medical purpose. And it's intended to be used on uh, on human beings. And for in this instance, let's say that it helps in the in the process for a disability if you have some heart rhythm problems let's say then it helps with a certain disability and in that case you can identify a uh, pacemaker as a medical device okay and uh, you're saying you have to check the definition but where can i find the regulation or the directive they are freely available and you can find them online and you have uh, the website of the european union basically uh, erlex on that website, you can identify the codes for the legislation and you can there retrieve the PDF files of, uh, of the laws. And as you mentioned earlier, for the medical device directive, that's the uh, directive 93-42-EEC. Um, and the medical device uh, regulation is the regulation 2017-745. Right, I'll, uh, I'll put the URLs of the Eurlex websites in the podcast transcription so the listeners can, can find those directives and regulations. Then you can download the PDF and there you can check the, the definitions, right? Yeah. The next step, but still, I think it's still step one of the certification process, is how do I know to which class my pacemaker belongs? Yes, that is correct, because obviously medical devices is a very broad term. And if we're talking about a pacemaker, you're talking about something very different uh, than, let's say, a Band-Aid or something like that. Um, so if you know that your uh, your product is a medical device, then you have also the uh, the classification rules. And the classification rules, they are mentioned in the annex of the, uh, of the legislation. From the top of my head, it's uh, in the medical device directive, it's annex 9. And in uh, the medical device regulation, it's Annex 8. Basically, what, what the, that Annex indicates, it gives certain rules. And it says if your device is a non-invasive device, non-active device, um, then it falls in this class. And you basically, you need to follow the rules. You need to rule them all. You only need to find the rules that are applicable to your product. And in that way, you can identify the classification of your product. Thank you. And that, that's something you can do yourself or do you need some knowledge about medical devices, classifications, etc.? That is something that you can do yourself because there's also a few definitions mentioned in that annex for you to do it yourself. Obviously, you can also ask a uh, ask consulting company to, to assist you with that um, because basically that's, uh, that's a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the work that they are uh, always doing on a daily basis. And I understand that not everyone is, uh, is working with the medical device uh, regulation and directive on a daily basis. Those are all legal texts, so you have to understand those directives and regulations as well. 
Yes, that's correct. And so we talked about directives, about the new regulation, uh, but then there is also something like standards or harmonized standards. Do I need to identify the harmonized standards as well in this first step of the CE marking process? Yeah, the harmonized standards, they're basically tools for you to uh, to know how to design, how to test your, your medical device. So it's, it's very helpful to also identify them in the first stage. And what you can do for this is, is basically to, uh, the European Commission has a list of the harmonized standards that are applicable, uh, well, they are uh, harmonized under the medical device legislation. And if you have a standard that your product complies with, let's say, or there's a standard for a specific product, then you can, there's a lot of useful design information, testing information that can help you comply with, with the legislation. That will definitely help you with the next steps. So a standard helps you to comply with legislation, with the requirements from the regulation or directive? Yes, that is correct. You can apply a standard, but it's not a mandatory thing to do. It's not a mandatory thing to do. Basically, to give you a small example, if you are having, uh, let's say you're having a syringe, you would like to market your syringe and the legislation cannot indicate for every certain product type what the specific requirements are. You read the requirements and basically it says, okay, so the operation of the syringe must be safe. And you're thinking, okay, so the operation must be safe, but in what way does it need to be safe? If there is a harmonized standard for syringes, that's a technical document, basically that is written specifically for syringes. So it will uh, indicate if you use, for example, this design, or if you uh, if you use this material, or if you use this procedure, then your product is safe. So you can use the standards to comply with certain uh, requirements. But then your advice would always be to take notice of any available standards in advance. So before you start developing a product, a medical device, and use those standards in order to create, develop a product that meets the requirements from the directive or regulation. Yes, that's always the best way to start the process. But in daily practice, I speak companies that are, for example, importing medical devices and they say, yeah, but our manufacturer says that it complies with this standard. That happens a lot indeed. Yeah, or when when they're drafting up the Declaration of Conformity, they're asking, hey, which standards should I mention here? And then my, my answer would be, well, the standards that you use during your development process But then the answer quite often is, uh, (laughs) I'm not aware of any standards that we used. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That that is something that that we also experience in the the practice uh, quite a lot. But it is essential basically to to know what the requirements are for your products in an early basis. And if you know that the the standards can give you additional information, um, then it will make the whole process a lot easier if you identify them in an early stage. Exactly. So you can see the standards as a, as a design tool, actually, for your product, but also maybe for your documentation, for, uh, for other requirements. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, so we've identified if my pacemaker is a medical device. So yes, it's a medical device. We've identified the class of the medical device. What, what was the class again? 
For a pacemaker, that would be a class 3 medical device. And that's the highest risk class. And that's basically because it's, you can imagine that if, uh, if a pacemaker is not safe, if it's malfunctioning, that could cost lives. Uh, so it's a very essential part um, um, of, the, of the human body, basically. So uh, that's all taken into account in, uh, in, in the classification of the products. Right. So uh, my pacemaker is medical device. It's a class uh, three medical device. The medical device directive applies or the medical device regulation applies. Maybe there are some other uh, directives or regulations that apply to the product. Yes, that, that could definitely be possible. Um, because if you're talking about a pacemaker, you're talking about an electrical device. It may occur that some other legislation is applicable. But then it's always a good thing to check whether the other legislation also indicates certain requirements or that these requirements are already embedded in the uh, medical device uh, legislation. That's also something that you need to be aware of uh, when selecting the, uh, the applicable legislation for your device. Do you have an example of uh, legislation that has, has been embedded in the medical device regulation already? Let's say if, if the low voltage directive is also applicable to electrical devices, then it's also embedded in the medical device legislation that a product uh, that is active and, and, and is dependent upon electrical current should be safe. So there's an overlap of requirements in that area. Meaning, uh, for example, let's say I'm a manufacturer or an importer of breathing devices, quite actual with the corona crisis uh, at the moment, and this med a breathing device can be connected to a main socket or needs to be connected to in order to, uh, to, to function to a main socket, socket, then the low voltage directive applies, but it's embedded in the, in the medical device regulation already. Uh, yes, that, that is then correct, because I think for breathing devices, there are already some uh, some harmonized standards that would explain in ultimate effect how it would need to be designed to be in accordance with uh, with the electrical requirements. So you can indicate it, it, that the low voltage directive, for example, uh, is also applicable. However, the requirements uh, could already be taken up into the medical device regulation or directive. Okay, and you're saying um, there might be some, some harmonized standards for breathing devices. Wh where can I find harmonized standards? Is there a list available somewhere? Yes, there's a list of harmonized standards that is provided by the uh, European Commission. There's a good list that indicates, okay, so what kind of uh, legislation are we talking about? So you can select all kinds of regulations or you can select all kinds of directives um, and they give you a, a list of standards that are harmonized. Obviously, there are more standards. Um, however, uh, the standards that are not harmonized are not on that list. So they, the European Commission only lists harmonized standards but it possibly when i go to like the website of the british standard institute or maybe iso or or the din in germany and then in, in the netherlands then it may be possible that i find more standards than only the harmonized standards and those standards can be useful because the standards uh, are often used to know what kind of um, technical specifications there are at the moment. Um, but it al always takes time for, for standards to be harmonized and not every standard is harmonized. So that's basically the difference if you're finding, let's say, a standard on, on the British Standards Institute website, but you cannot find it on the website of the European Commission. Right. Thank you, Martin. That's enough information uh, about step one. 
I would suggest to go to step two of the CE marking process for medical devices. Are we ready for this already? I, I think we are. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would be step two? To identify the essential requirements that are applicable for your uh, medical device. When I understand you correctly, uh, not all requirements are applicable to all medical devices. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Because if we're looking at the medical device directive or the medical device regulation, uh, there's an annex and in both that would be annex one. Uh, and that uh, gives a long list of essential requirements. And that list basically indicates the requirements that medical devices should comply with. The essential requirements are categorized, meaning that, for example, there's a section about active medical devices. So the, those are the medical devices that depend on electrical currents or something like that, which means that if we're talking about our pacemaker, that that section is applicable. However, if we're talking about band-aids, that section may not be applicable. So there are specific uh, sections that are applicable to your uh, medical device and specific sections that are not applicable to your medical device. And you need to basically list the, the requirements that are applicable to your medical device. And then you can take into your process, how are you going to comply with them? So actually, as a manufacturer, I need to read the directives or the regulation. Yes. Yes, that's correct. And determine which parts apply to my product. Yes. Okay. That's it in step two? Basically, yes. But it's uh, it's quite extensive also to know how do you comply with certain requirements. And uh, obviously, that is, uh, th that is something that is applicable also for the next steps when we're talking more and in-depth about, uh, about the conformity assessments. But in, in essence, step two is to identify all the essential requirements that are applicable. Okay, and you have to know how to comply with a requirement. Is that something that you can uh, determine yourself or? Yes, that is something basically you can identify standards that can be used for, for, for those kinds of things. But it can also be that you have done some uh, some other tests yourself, let's say. And if we're talking about examples in this case, then it could be that if your, uh, if your product needs to be uh, electrically safe, let's say, um, that's a quite general requirement. And if you are having uh, your product tested in accordance with a harmonized standard that also takes into account uh, electrical safety, uh, then you can use the results of that to prove the compliance with that requirement. Meaning that you can use like a harmonized standard in order to prove that? Yes. But for example, when I'm not sure if it's a requirement, but uh, when a requirement would be uh, the device shall not contain any sharp edges... Maybe you don't need a standard to... No, exactly. Then then, then uh, there are two ways. Either you don't need a standard or uh, you have used a standard with some, let's say, uh, design specifications. Because if that standard is then harmonized and you refer to the design specifications, then you can indicate that you comply with certain essential requirements. However, uh, if we're talking about this specific case then my advice would be to document an assessment that you've did on the product itself to determine that the product does not have sharp edges. An assessment basically to check whether the product has sharp edges can be embedded in the quality management system. So if you're sample-wise uh, sample check the, uh, the products that come out of the factory, then you can basically uh, do a check that all of the products coming from the factory, whether they still have some sharp edges or not. Right, but we're, I think we're talking already now about the conformity assessment procedure, which is, if I'm correct, the next step of the CE marking process. 
Um, yes, I'm just just being uh, uh, one step ahead of myself, uh, but I was just indeed e explaining how it can be proven to comply with certain essential requirements. Okay, thanks. So in step two, we determine the requirements and, and possibly the standards for medical devices. Uh, when we've done so, we can go to step three? Yes, yes, we can. I think that's a good uh, good thing. Which is? The conformity assessment procedure and basically selecting the conformity assessment procedure. And that's also something that uh, you, have to, uh, you have the classification of your device. And basically the classification of your device also tells you what kind of conformity assessment procedure you need to conduct. And whether you need a notified body or not is determined by the class your medical device Yes, yes. So then you need to know if, uh, if contacting a notified body and having an assessment carried out by a notified body is uh, part of the conformity assessment procedure. And you've already mentioned a few different assessment procedures. Can you give like uh, the, the full overview of all different available procedures? Well, I can at least try. They're talking about different modules, let's say, in the in the legislation. But in essence, in, in most practice, it, it comes down to this. If you're having a class one medical device, then you need to ensure as a manufacturer that your product complies. And if your product complies, uh, you can bring it onto the market after you've seen market, of course. If you are having a, uh, a class 2A medical device, then you need to also have an assessment carried out by a notified body, which means that you need to have your technical documentation in order and you need to have a quality management system implemented. Both those things will be assessed by the notified body. The notified body will do a desk review or desk assessment of the documentation. They will need to check uh, whether all the documentation is present uh, and whether there is enough proof to prove that your product complies with the legislation. And they will also need to certify the quality management system that is used to produce your product. And for that, they will do an on-site audit and they will also do repeat audits, uh, let's say, once every year. And as we're talking about the pacemaker as an example, so you mentioned that the pacemaker is a class 3 medical device, so it does need uh, testing by a notified body? Yes. Does that mean that they take over the full testing of, of the product or is there still something that I as a manufacturer need to do myself? There's still something that you need to do yourself as a manufacturer. The notified body does not always do specific testing. They could in a certain module test and review every product. But uh, when you were talking about series production, that's highly in inefficient. Uh, so in this case, basically what they will do is they will check the documentation and issue a certificate if the if the documentation is in compliance uh, they will check also the quality management system however when we're talking about a class 3 device the notified bodies will act more caution and will ask for more information so the general overview of the requirements remain the same of the documentation requirements however it needs to be more in-depth and uh, as there are more risks to the product and they need to be some additional safety features to 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 make sure that they comply Okay, so I have a class 3 medical device. I know that I need a notified body for certain parts. I have to conduct some parts myself. So in step 3, I have determined the route to conformity. Yes. And then the actual 
testing needs to be done, which is uh, most likely step four. Uh, yes. And the testing is then part of the documentation, really. And when you're thinking about the technical documentation, that encompasses uh, quite a lot of aspects, but also encompasses test reports. So let's say if a notified body will check your technical documentation, then you will also uh, need to already have some test reports in accordance with certain standards. There is a, a separate route that you can take when a notified body basically examines uh, every individual device. That's not a route that is often taken as it's, it's, it's highly inefficient when we're talking about products that are manufactured in series. And for medical devices, is, is a risk assessment mandatory or is that actually the, the conformity assessment itself? Um, now, risk assessment is mandatory, and there's also a standard for that, basically, for risk management. Uh, that's the ISO 14971. Which is a standard specifically for medical devices or for, for general, for other products as well? That's specifically for medical devices. So, basically, um, ri- risk management is, uh, is quite important, as we always need to, need to check what are the risks of the device and how does the risk influence basically the patients or the use or anything like that because obviously if you're if you're talking about a medical device most of the time it's used to to improve uh, the situation of a certain patient so uh, it could be that there are risks however if the improvement if the benefit is higher than the risk then then that's that's okay and that's basically with with all products in in the eu there always is a risk you cannot take away the risks completely there's always a risk but it needs to be acceptable the machinery directive also requires to conduct a risk analysis and for machinery you need to you well you can follow the iso 12100 if i'm correct which is uh, how to conducting risk analysis for for machinery and i do know that the, this iso standard 12100 talks about three ways of reducing risks so first of all uh, when there are certain risks related to the use of the machinery as a manufacturer you have to make sure that the design becomes more safe it's not always possible to make like a 100 percent safe design so then there's a second stage for reducing the risks which is providing safety measures but still then there can be risks re- related to the use of the machinery and then the last step in order to reduce the risk is by uh, providing instructions for use is, is that something that this standard for risk analysis for medical devices describes as well this order in in order to reduce the risks i'm not sure if it's specifically mentioned the order and the process that you describe is a very good process to use in general for all kinds of risk estimation risk reduction processes because basically it just counts down to what what is most effective ensure that that the design is safe if that is not possible then then you need to do some other mitigations and if you have done everything that you can you need to uh, you need to inform the patients or the consumers i'm not quite sure whether it's uh, mentioned directly in the in, in the standard uh, but it's a good way to to look at it yes okay and and this risk analysis because we're talking now a lot about the risk analysis mm-hmm. um, my bad um, but but is this part of the the conformity assessment in other words is this part of the testing or is this more part of the, the technical file 
It is more part of the technical file. It's something that remains basically a live document as we go, because there's always, if there, let's say there's a design change, then this could have an impact on the patient and this could impose, let's say, a new risk. So it's it's a document that uh, that is part of the technical documentation, and you need to also have it checked with the notified body. If we're talking, let's say, about uh, about the pacemaker, and the notified body does an assessment on the documentation. However, it remains an, uh, a document that that needs to be updated if there are any updates or changes on the on the device. So it's we can put it into basically uh, the cabinet of the technical documentation, but it floats around between the the certain steps. So it's a, you go big back and forth between notified body, compiling the technical file, etc., until everything is complete and meets the requirements. Yes, that is correct. And in, in step four, so let's say we've determined the route to conformity. We know that, uh, that we do need a notified body or not. Uh, we conduct the conformity assessment. We do the testing. And the result of the testing can be a report, for example, by a notified body saying whether a medical device complies or does not comply. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And specifically, if you're talking about test reports, there are always requirements against which has been tested. So basically, if you have a report, that's perfect proof. That's basically your record for if you're indicating that a product complies with, let's say, a certain standard, because a report indicates that a test has been carried out in accordance with the standard and that the product complies. And then the report is also part of the technical documentation. So it's your evidence. Yes, Right. So if, if the market authorities, for some reason, knock on your door to something might have happened and they say, OK, give me your technical file, then they'll check if the reports do comply or the tests have been been conducted in accordance with the requirements, etc. Yes, that's correct. Um, more specifically, if they indeed indicate okay we've had a complaint let's say from uh, from the market let's say the product is not uh, is not waterproof to a certain extent and you have done your ip tests and you have uh, have an ip value on your product and you have the test report for that then that is a piece of evidence that you can show them okay we have done these tests and this this was the result and it's done by an accredited laboratory we can ensure that it's uh, that's not a structural thing that it may happen once let's say but it's not uh, that the product does not comply with these requirements. So, so are you saying that the market authorities uh, can also request your technical file uh, when there is a complaint from the market? Not really like a complaint, but there needs to be some sort of issue. Something must have happened. And if something happened, then the market authority can get the order to examine this and to review basically the, the, the documentation or to request certain pieces of documentation. Like something happened, like an accident, for example. Yes, that could occur. Yes. Right. Okay, so then we've conducted all the testing. We've gathered the evidence that the product complies uh, with some or most of the requirements from the regulation or directive. Mm -hmm. In the next step, then we have to... Basically, to compile all the documentation together. You have all these separate points of evidence. You need to compile them into one file, let's say. And in the case of a notified body involvement, all these uh, documents have been checked. So this is your technical documentation. You just put it in, let's say, uh, uh, figuratively speaking, into one folder. And that is your file. And that is also then including the certificates that you have received from the notified bodies when, when their involvement has been uh, required. 
And earlier you said that the new regulation is more clearly about what needs to be in the technical file than the old directive is. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. If we're just talking about the length of pages, let's say, then I think in the medical device directive, you have one page indicating these are the contents of the of the technical file. And in the medical device uh, regulation, there's a more extensive list um, and certain items are split up to ensure that uh, that it's more easy to gather all the information. And besides the testing reports, what else should be included in the technical file for medical devices? Um, as you've in, uh, indicated earlier, the instructions for use, that's, uh, that's, an, uh, that's an important thing. We also need to have some general information about devices. That could mean identification of the model numbers, the dimensions of the products, certain specifications such as voltage range, uh, pressure uh, range, things like that, the drawings, the information for the users, also meaning the labeling and the packaging the information to ensure that the product is safe. So let's say a clinical evaluation report that indicates that the product is indeed safe and also does what it intends to do. What what is a clinical evaluation report? A clinical evaluation report basically means that you have done an investigation on whether the product is uh, safe and efficient. And basically it says that if, if you can have a product that is completely safe, but if you say that it's that it's a product that will help you to walk again, let's say, and it does not, uh, then the product can be safe, but it is not effective. And that is something that you check in the in the clinical evaluation. So it's something different than the conformity assessment. So then you, you're checking if the product meets the requirements, but in the clinical evaluation, you're checking whether, well, the intended use of the product meets the description of the intended use. Yes, and basically, the uh, I think the most simple example to, to give is clinical trials. Everyone has heard of clinical trials. They're often used in, uh, in medicines. And what they do is basically to check we have produced the product, is it effective? And a clinical trial is a very scary thing in the, in the medical device world. But a clinical trial is not always required to actually conduct a trial in the, in the clinical evaluation uh, phase because the clinical evaluation report can also be drawn up in accordance with desk research and, and, and other investigations that have already been carried out, let's say, on a general scale in the past. But it's the combination of that, that information that will provide you with a clinical evaluation report that will say, okay, this is the product. The product is safe. It complies with the requirements um, and it's also effective. So it does what it needs to, uh, what it's intended to do. Okay. And you mentioned that the instructions for use need to be part of the technical file as well. Yes, that is correct. It's also part of the technical documentation for medical devices that are really um, simple devices. It's not always required to have instructions for use if they can be used safely without uh, instructions for use. And that's something that the manufacturer then should uh, prove. Okay. So when a product can be used safely without instructions, then you can determine not providing any instructions for use with it. Yeah. And that's all uh, only for the low risk class uh, medical devices. Right. And um, I know that uh, especially the new regulation for medical devices contains an extensive list of requirements on the instructions for use. Correct. That makes it quite better to know what what are the the items that needs to be implemented in the instructions for use. So you can follow that list 
um, but there are also some some other requirements that may apply. And then we're just talking about uh, uh, maybe there are some requirements from from standards, or there are some requirements coming from from the risk assessment of the device. Yeah. So you're saying there is a list. I think it goes from A to Z, and maybe even more requirements on the instructions for use. So you have to make sure that your instructions for use comply with those requirements from the regulation or from the directive. But additionally, there may be requirements in, in harmonized standards. Um, yes, that is, uh, that is correct. It may be uh, because, as, as we talked about it before, um, the harmonized standards are more explicit on a product level. So it could occur that certain information for certain devices is required and is indicated in the standards. So as we're still talking about the pacemaker, it, it can be that there is a harmonized standard for pacemakers describing the requirements for the instructions for use, which are additions to uh, the medical device regulation or directive. Yes, for uh, pacemakers, I'm, I'm not quite, I do not have the, uh, uh, the standards that are applicable for pacemakers uh, from the top of my head. I do not know them by heart, um, but it could be, for example, the regulation indicates that any additional warnings or something like that should be mentioned in, in the instructions for use. Um, and a more uh, specific definition could be given in the standards indicating that when you have a pacemaker, uh, you need to uh, be careful with uh, electromagnetic fields or anything like that. That is something that could be uh, mentioned in the standard that could have an effect on the product and that should be uh, uh, instructed basically uh, in the IFU. Yeah, exactly. And so most likely products emitting radio waves, for example, need to have certain safety instructions, products that uh, are so-called uh, in vitro uh, devices have different standards and, and so different safety instructions that you need to provide with the product. Yes, correct. Blood pressure monitors, most likely is a different category, for example. And then what I always like to mention to, to point out when we create our instructions for users, so yes, you have the requirements from the directive or from the regulation. Then there are these so-called vertical standards. So you have to know, okay, this is my product. Let, let's see if there are any harmonized standards specifically for my product category. But then there are uh, the so-called horizontal standards and can be horizontal harmonized standards like the A2079 standard, for example, which is a standard to create user instructions in general. So in order to make sure that you're creating safe user instructions, you need to apply the requirements from the directive or regulation. You need to apply the requirements from the vertical standards and uh, you need to apply the horizontal standards like the A2079 or the ISO 20607 for machinery, which is, by the way, not a horizontal standard, but a vertical standard. But that's just a, that's just a side note. <laughs> just a small side note. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so we're uh, compiling the technical file. You said there is like a clear list in, in, in the, well, at least in the regulation, uh, identifying what should be in the technical file. Then we can go to the last step of the C marking process. Yes, that is correct. And that is affixing uh, the CE marking and the registration of, uh, of the device. And with, with the fixing, you mean putting the CE mark on the device? Yes, and basically the legislation indicates it as affixing the, the CE mark. 
um, because that's still sort of, a, let's say, a physical thing for a manufacturer to do. Because once he applies the CE mark onto their product, then the whole outside world uh, knows that the product complies with the legislation. Right. And w when you've done so, then you're declaring that your product complies with the legislation. And then the, the very, very last step would be that you draw, uh, draw up the Declaration of Conformity. Yes, and what happens often in the in uh, in the conformity assessment procedure is that, for example, the notified body, if if a notified body is uh, is also present for for the conformity assessment procedure, is that they would like to see an example of a declaration of conformity, so that they are, can also check whether whether it is uh, compliant with uh, with the requirements for a declaration of conformity. So in essence, you have one unsigned, and when you're affixing the CE, you are signing your declaration of conformity and on the content of the declaration of conformity there are certain uh, requirements as well yes that is correct and th those are also indicated in the legislation um, and those are basically the four more requirements most essential to know uh, and to keep in mind when uh, when drawing up a declaration of conformity and that it needs to be clearly stated who is drawing up the declaration of conformity on which product are we talking about and also what legislation is applicable and has been met. Those are basically the, the most important things to think about uh, when drawing up a declaration of conformity. Yeah, and, and something that I noticed is that there's also a requirement, at least in the new regulation, to mention the UDI-DI number. Yes, that is correct. That's a new uh, that's a new feature for the medical device regulation, and that is basically to encourage the traceability of medical devices because it's it's a unique number for medical devices, uh, not unique as in a serial number because that's unique for every single device. But the UDI number is basically an identification for a certain device. It's already been in use in other parts of the world. For example, in the U.S they're already working with, uh, with with UDI identifiers. And basically what the UD, UDI is, if we're talking about, uh, let's say, the pacemaker, the pacemaker has a certain UDI, that's a unique device identifier, and the pacemaker, let's say, is shipped from the manufacturer to, uh, to a hospital in a box that consists of five of these pacemakers, then the box itself has a different UDI number. And if you, let's say, scan that UDI number, then you know that it regards a box of five pacemakers of that one manufacturer. So it's basically traceability uh, uh, uses. Which, which makes it easier as well to sell your product worldwide. Yes, exactly. Okay, and then I've drafted my declaration of conformity and then I as manufacturer, I, I need to sign it? Um, yes, that is, uh, that's an important thing um, because you need to sign it because otherwise it's, it's just a document. And when you sign it, then you indicate, uh, you declare that, that the product is in compliance with the indicated legislation. Okay, and then I need to, to put it in my technical file or do I need to submit it to the notified body or to any other institution? Um, that depends. In essence, it's a part of the, uh, of the technical file. Um, and it's also uh, your proof to the outside world that the product complies. So if you're, uh, if you're supplying your product to an end user, to a hospital, then they will need to know that the product complies. And with the, the declaration of conformity, they know to which legislation it exactly complies so you always also send it together with your product 
and the next step is you do not need to uh, basically supply it to the to the notified body but if you need to register your product then you need to also uh, need to have the signed declaration of conformity and the registration of medical devices is uh, applicable to uh, all medical devices. However, the procedure for the registration is different uh, between the different classes. And I will just elaborate a bit more because for class one medical devices, as it's uh, self-certification, you also need to register the product yourself. And then you need to register the product with the competent authority in which you are, uh, in the member state in which you are established as the manufacturer. Assuming that we uh, we are established in the Netherlands, that we uh, need to contact the competent authority of the Netherlands and we need to uh, submit some information in a digital system, actually, where we indicate, okay, we, company X, bring this device onto the market. This is some information about the device. Specific information that needs to be submitted is the declaration of conformity and also some of the general information about the product. And then the competent authority will register the device and you'll receive a confirmation of it uh, a few weeks after that. And the, in that way, your device is registered. So meaning I've followed all the steps of the CE marking process, I've affixed the CE marking, I've... Uh, signed, drawn up my declaration of conformity, signed it, and then I'm ready to sell my medical device. Yes, that's correct. Now I can sell it within the entire uh, European Union. Yes, that is correct. Worldwide as well? Uh, no, not worldwide. Um, the CE mark is the conformity mark for the European Union. And if you're uh, willing to sell the product outside of the European Union, you need to check with uh, specific pieces of legislation of the countries that you would like to uh, to bring your product onto the market to um, outside of the EU. And, and let's say I want to sell it uh, right now, so May 2020, I want to sell it to the United Kingdom. That is possible because at the moment, because we're all aware, of course, of the Brexit situation, the Brexit has a certain deadline uh, until the end of this year. And basically what that means is that at this moment, UK is still seen as part of the EU. And if you would like to sell your product in the UK, then you can uh, do so when your product complies with the CE mark until the end of this year. And after that? After that, the UK is seen as a territory or a country outside of the EU. So then we're talking about if you would like to sell the product onto the UK market, then you need to comply with the UK requirements. Is there a possibility you think that those requirements will remain the same? Or that, for example, in the case of Switzerland, there is like a a treaty between the European Union and, and Switzerland. So do, do you expect that something similar will happen with the UK? I think so. And I think so because basically there are, um, we talked about standards, there are a lot of standards, British standards, and they are uh, saying things about, the uh, well, the conformity for, for the UK. If they would not accept any, let's say, CE devices, and then they would need to create a whole different conformity assessment uh, route. And that would take a lot of time and a lot of energy while they are um, having a specific route already laid out in front of them, which already has proven that, that it can uh, generate safe products. So I'm thinking that there will be a mutual recognition agreement between uh, the EU and the UK. It might be that there are some 
specific requirements that will need to be uh, followed up, let's say. Uh, but I think in general, overall, when complying with the European requirements, you most likely also comply with, with the UK requirements. We've talked a lot about the CE marking process for medical devices. To summarize it, I distinguish uh, six steps for CE marking your medical device. So we started with the classification of your medical device and identifying the applicable directives or regu regulations. In step two, we said we're going to determine the requirements on your specific medical device. In step three, we're determining the route to conformity or the route to, to uh, the, the conformity assessment procedure, whether you need a notified body testing or uh, whether you can test it yourself. In step four, you're conducting the actual testing. Step five, you're compiling the technical file. And step six, you're affixing the CE mark and signing the declaration of conformity uh, this all sounds like like a massive process how long does it take to uh, see mark a medical device it's quite hard to say and why is it quite hard to say because it entails a lot of steps as you just mentioned already but if we're taking into account that from step one to to step six it could take one to two months if you're talking about a real easy device and you have a lot of documentation let's say or already available or you can uh, produce the documentation non-stop an easy device like band-aid um yeah if, if for example if, if you're talking about a class one low risk device it could occur that not a lot of requirements are applicable and that you can have a, let's say a smaller file to be uh, to be created if we're talking about a more extensive and more risk medical device then you're also dependent upon other parties if you need to do some testing it is possible that you cannot do the testing yourself you need to have a testing laboratory they will have a certain time if you need some uh, some reports or a clinical evaluation report and you will outsource it to persons it will cost some time if you will outsource the instructions for use let's say to a, to a company then it will take some time you're dependent upon a, a lot of factors that will declare how much time is is needed and basically from my experience if you're taking in the entire process you can count upon a year to gradually basically comply with uh, with with the regulations so meaning uh, taking into account that the new medical device uh, regulation will come into force next year, then it would be wise to start setting up your conformity assessment, etc., your CE marking process right now. Yes, definitely. Right. And then talking about costs, so can you say anything about the costs of certifying medical devices? That's also a very dangerous thing to say, I, I would uh, always say, because that's also dependent upon how much will you do yourself and how much will uh, will you outsource. For example, and we can guide you through, uh, through the entire process, uh, but obviously we have, uh, let's say, a fee for that. But otherwise, you have notified bodies that have a certain fee. You have testing laboratories that have a certain fee. If you need to have some documentation drawn up by some medical experts or, or clinical experts, they will have some fee. So it's really hard to say because there's not a specific price tag on, uh, on receiving the CE mark. And that's basically because it's not a certification that you buy. It's a certification that you do. Right. Thanks for the explanation. It makes, uh, makes total sense to me. To wrap this 
up because we've talked a lot already. Um, how do you see the future of certification of medical devices? Basically, things getting more clearer but more stricter. And that's also something that you can see uh, what I explained already about the medical device regulation because that follows up the medical device directive. Um, and some things are taken out and are more more explained. Some things are, are, are more reviewed. And in essence, it will go all about safety. So the legislation will need to change together with the technology. And we need to ensure that all the products that we put onto the market remain safe. So uh, I would say that the legislation is already, let's say, on a train going somewhere. And we're just uh, passing through stations that will uh, apply some more requirements or some more clarity about it. So it becomes clearer for manufacturers. Yes, it becomes clearer, but also more strict. And it seems a bit contradictory, but it's... Uh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that's the best way to, to indicate it. I mean, um, if, if it becomes clearer what the requirements are and, and how the product should be safe, then those requirements could be stricter, but the manufacturers do know uh, what they're up against. Okay, thanks, uh, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time for this uh, this interview. It has been very interesting. I think it gives a clear insight on how to see EMARC medical devices. This has been the longest podcast recording so far. Indicates the complexity of the topic as well, I think. So thanks again. Uh, we'll be in touch. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you very much, Ferry. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck to all, uh, to all of the listeners to ensure that the product complies and to keep going uh, with that. I would like to thank the thousands of listeners that follow my show and I'd like you to listen to this show next week and all weeks that will follow as well. What have you got to lose? You are on your way to create happier and safer users and I invite you to email me with your queries or just to say hi. Or maybe you want to be in the show. So continue listening or write that email right now or you won't be safe anymore. Only joking of course.